Well, they say that the last thing to get converted to Christ is our wallets. That out of all the things in our lives, our wallets are one of the slowest things to be given to the cause of Christ. And that's because we need money, we like money, and it's so useful. And it gives us access to so many things like, well, money opens the doors, doesn't it? It opens the doors to entertainment, to holidays, to food, to nice food, to health care, to cars, to houses. Money's not just useful, it's appealing, it's enticing. And we can find ourselves holding on tightly to our wallets, wanting to keep our money for ourselves. But we're here this morning and we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand in the conviction, don't we, that he will come again to this earth. We believe that this life is not all there is. And so we don't live for this world, not for ourselves, not for our money. And yet, sadly, sometimes we can be like an adult wandering around with a security blanket, like Linus in Peanuts where we should have released our grip on our money long ago. The temptation that James is addressing in our verses this morning is the temptation of living for today, living for this life, particularly with respect to our money. Remember, James wrote his letter to encourage us to keep our faith in Christ, to persevere in our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. And we need to persevere because along the way, our own desires within us will tempt us into sin to lead us away from Christ. And so James has been saying all through his letter, instead of giving in to your desires to keep your faith in Christ, humbly accept his word and do what he says instead of listening to your desires. And in the back end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5, James addresses the temptation of living for today, living for this world, for this life, instead of living for Christ and the day he comes again. On your outlines in your bulletin, you can see how James tackles it. First, he's going to address the rich, thinking that they're in control of their days, they're the master's of their lives here on earth. Then he speaks against the rich living for today, for this life, before urging us to instead be the people who are living for the last day, the day when Christ comes again. So first, the rich thinking they're in control of their days. Let's see what James has to say. Chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Okay, the people James is dealing with here are the people who have the means to make money. They're making plans to go to this city or that city, to move there for a year, carry on business and make some money. And at first glance, you could be asking yourself, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with being a business person who can run a good ship and make money? You know, doesn't the Bible in other places talk about being prudent with money, not being reckless, but wise and planning for the future? Well, yes, it does. So is it that James is just against rich people? You know, is there something wrong with having lots of money? Well, that can't be true either because nowhere does the Bible condemn people for simply being rich. Loving money 
hoarding money, being selfish with your money. Sure, God speaks loud and clear against greed. In fact, James is going to speak into that when we get to chapter 5. But simply having wealth, that's not wrong. The Bible's clear about that. So what is James getting at here? If it's not about planning for the future or simply having wealth, what's his issue with the people who are planning on making money? Well, let's keep reading. Pick it up from verse 13 again. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. You see James's problem with these people? It's not that they have money. It's not that they can make money. It's not even that they're planning to make money. The problem is their arrogance in thinking that they're in control of making their money. Today or tomorrow we'll go to this city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. It's the breezy confidence that arrogantly assumes they're in control. They can do whatever they want. When they plan for the future, what they plan, that's what happens. And James says, no, you're not in control. In fact, your life is a mist, like the steam that comes out of a kettle when it's boiling. You know, one minute it's there, the next moment it's gone. That's us. One day my dad was happily holidaying with my mum. The next thing he knew was having a heart attack. By the end of the day, he was gone. Our lives are a mist. We're not in control of whether we live or not, let alone making plans and making them happen with certainty. And so instead of arrogantly assuming that whatever we plan will happen, James says we should say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. Forget about even getting to the city to make money. If it's the Lord's will, we'll live. And then if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this or that. Now, friends, as I've been thinking about these verses and writing this talk, I have to admit that I haven't been really feeling the weight of these words. I can nod my head at them and I can agree with them in theory, but I have struggled to see what James is getting worked up about. I'm not really feeling it. Maybe you're like me. And as I've been reflecting on this, I wonder if it's because, for many of us, we do what James says we shouldn't, but it works. You know, we take control of our lives, we make plans, and we pull them off all the time. We plan our holidays, we plan our jobs, we plan our meals, and we go on our holidays, we work at our jobs, and we eat our food. And so we can agree with James in theory, yes, yes, we're not in control, of course we're not, God is. But then we just live our lives as if we are in control. We just make plans and we do them. And living that way works for us. So we don't really need what James is saying here. We're so good at making plans and those plans coming good I wonder whether we've become blind to the idea that we're not in control. I mean, when someone asks you, what are your plans for Christmas? 
Nowhere in our thought process is the idea that we might not be here for Christmas. When someone says, what's happening for you next year, we don't even have half a thought that maybe we won't make it through next year. We just live on the assumption that we'll be here and be able to do whatever we plan. But you could lose your job. You might get transferred. You could get really sick. Someone from your family might get really sick. We might have another GFC. You might die. There's so much that could happen to make our little plans obsolete. Friends, if you are like me and you live your life, practically speaking, as if you are in control, hear the word of God with me, hear it. We're not in control. Our lives are a mist. And if it's the Lord's will, we'll live. And if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this or that, but only by the Lord's will. And for us to humble ourselves before the Lord like this, what would this look like? Well, practically speaking, I think this would show itself in turning us into a people of prayer. So last Friday, a couple of days ago, Catherine and I went down to Parks. That was my plan. But with James 4 ringing in my ears, I found myself praying that God would get us there so we could do what we planned. And I found myself thanking God that he did get us there and got us back because I'm not in control. And so I prayed about the things I was planning. I think it turns us into people of prayer. There's the first thing James is rebuking about living for today, and that is living as if you're in control of your days. The second thing James rebukes about living for today is that he zeroes in on the rich and their hoarding of their wealth for themselves. Now, again, let's be clear. James isn't saying that wealth is bad in and of itself, but greed selfishly holding on to your wealth for yourself. That is roundly condemned in what James is about to say. At the heart of James' rebuke is that when we're living as if this life is all there is to live for, that you're simply living for today, and so grabbing as much as you can for yourself. In chapter 5, James is going to mention the last days. Uh, The last days are simply the days between Jesus rising from the dead and Jesus coming again. It's just those days in between. We're now in the last days. We are waiting for Christ to come again. And when Christ comes again, it'll be as plain as day that all of life is about him. Christ is the meaning of life. He is the Lord of life. All creation will bow before him. And to have spent your time in these last days just living for yourself, well, not only does it not make sense, but it denies the truth that Christ is coming as Lord and Judge. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. There are rich people in the church that James was writing to and they loved their wealth. They were hoarding it for themselves. You've seen those programs, haven't you? You know, hoarders. 
They're hoarding their wealth for themselves, filling their bank balances over and over again, filling their wardrobes with clothes. It's gold and silver in abundance here in these verses, squirreling their wealth away, keeping it all for themselves. They're living for today, living for themselves, and in their greed they become wealthy. But James says their wealth will testify against them. When Christ comes again, their wealth will speak out that they lived these last days just for themselves. They lived for today, not that day. Friends, when Christ comes in all his glory, what good will your 65-inch televisions, your occasional sports car, your annual holiday to Europe, your always up-to-date phone, your constant dining out, your ultimate gaming system, your holiday house, if it has all been for you, if you have hoarded it all for yourself, to enjoy the spoils of your wealth, if you've lived in these last days as if they're your only days, what will you say to Christ when he comes on the last day? For the rich in the church that James was originally writing to, they weren't just hoarding their wealth for themselves. They took it another step further. It wasn't just that they're greedy, they also got their wealth by exploiting others. Look at it there in verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The rich, they were so indulgent in hoarding their wealth for themselves, they weren't even paying their workers. Like early this year, remember George Columbaris, the old master chef judge? He is personally worth around five million bucks, just himself. He's got plenty. But his company got caught out underpaying his workers to the tune of nearly eight million dollars, getting wealthy on the back of your workers. We hate it. God hates it more. And his condemnation of those living for themselves with their wealth just keeps on coming. Look at it there in verse 5. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. The murdering that James is speaking of there is probably tied back to verse 4, where the rich weren't paying their workers. Back in James's day, the labourer, got, he got paid for his day's work at the end of the day. The average worker back then was only able to buy enough food for the next day. So if he doesn't get paid at the end of the day, he's not going to be able to eat the next day. No pay, no food. There's only so long you can keep that up. Meanwhile, the rich... They're living in luxury and self-indulgence, James says, lapping up every comfort and enjoyment that they can get their lusty hands on. James even goes so far as to say that they've fattened themselves in the day of slaughter, like cows, feeding in their rich green pastures. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? But anyway, feeding in their rich green pastures, growing fat by the hour. You can see the cow getting fatter before your very eyes. The The cow, though, is unaware, isn't it? That every day brings the butcher nearer. You know, the well-fed, fattened beast just makes itself ready for the knife. That's James's picture for the rich who are just living for today. Living for themselves. Living as if this life is all there is. As if there's no day of judgment. Christ isn't coming back. Hoarding their wealth. Exploiting their workers. Indulging themselves in every pleasure they can get their hands on. 
Can you see what James is saying in these verses? He is dealing with the temptation of living for today. Living for this life. Living for yourself, particularly with respect to your money. Now, we might not be as extreme as the people that James is writing to, but let's heed his warning. Wealth, very tempting. And self, very tempting. Put those two together, wealth and ourself. It makes a seductive cocktail to entice us away from Christ, to walk away from him, so that instead of living for Christ, we live for today. We live for ourselves with all that our wealth can get for us. It's like Jesus said in the parable of the soils. Remember this one? The deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things choke the word of God out of your life. And let's be clear, you don't have to be rich for this to be a problem. Remember, James isn't writing against having wealth. He's writing against hoarding wealth. He's writing against greed. He's writing against living for today, trying to get as much for yourself. You can be poor and greedy, just as you can be wealthy and greedy. You can be wealthy and generous. You can be poor and generous. It's not a question of how much money you have. It's a question of your heart. Are you living for yourself, for this life, for today? Or are you living for Christ and his final coming day? Now, if you're here this morning and you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, you believe he's coming back, which is great news. There's a day coming when our Lord will return. But friends, be very clear. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to live like it. Especially when it comes to our wallets. So let me ask you this question. What do your bank statements say about what's going on in your heart? What story do your bank statements tell? Because if you really believe that there's a day coming when Christ will come from heaven, that that one day he will appear personally, come again to earth to bring in the final eternal judgment of God, if you really believe that, then surely when you look at your bank statements, there's going to be some indication that that is actually what you believe. That you're not just squirreling away your money for yourself. You're not hiding behind, you know, saving up for the kids as the reason why you don't give to church or give to ministries or give to missionaries. What, what do your bank statements say about what's going on in your heart? If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, glad you're here, can you see what what it would mean for you if you were to follow Christ. It would mean believing that this life is not all there is, that there's more to life than you. If you were to place your trust in Christ, it would mean living for him, not for yourself. And that would include your wallet, living for the day that Christ comes again. Now, what does that look like? What would living for the last day mean for us? That's where James takes us now from verse 7. And basically living for the day of Christ means not living for yourself. Not trying to grab the riches of this life 
for ourselves because instead we're patiently waiting for the riches of eternal life in God's kingdom. Look at it there in verse 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Uh, Literally, James says there, therefore, be patient. In other words, because of verses 1 to 6, since the rich are hoarding their wealth and exploiting people, therefore you be patient. It seems that the rich were making life hard for the people in the church and James's instruction to them is to be patient until the Lord's coming. Now you won't be able to be patient and wait for Christ to come. You won't be able to do that if you're living for today. If what matters to you is what you can get for yourself in this life, then when the rich exploit you, you fight back and you quarrel and you try and get what you want. But if you're living for the last day, well, then you are now free to patiently wait for Christ to come. Because missing out on the things of this life, that won't trouble you. Because you're not living for today. You're not living for this life. You're not living for yourself. You're living for the last day. And so you can patiently wait for that day to come. Just like the farmer can patiently wait for his crop. Verse 7 again. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Now, James's farming illustration doesn't really work for us so well in the drought, which is very unfortunate, but on the assumption that there were rains around here, you can work with it, can't you? If the farmer knows that there'll be autumn and spring rains, what does he do? He sows his seed and patiently waits for the land to yield its crop. Because the rains will grow his seed, the harvest will come, he can patiently wait because he knows his crop will come. And we can patiently wait for eternal life in God's kingdom because we know that Christ will come. And to help us to know what that looks like, James gives us the example of Job. You can read about him in the Old Testament. He's an interesting example because Job was someone who did have all the wealth of this life. He had property, he had stock, he had servants, he had the lot. But through tragedy, bandits and storms, he lost the lot. Now, if Job was living for today, for himself, how might he react to losing all of his wealth? Well, his wife told him to curse God. Uh, He might, if he so chose, become corrupt in order to try and get his wealth back. He could seek revenge. There's any number of things he could do to try and get his wealth back if he was living for himself. But he wasn't. And so in all his tragedy and his loss, he continued to entrust himself to God. He tried to please him in every way. Job's life wasn't about himself. He patiently trusted and served his God, and in the end, God restored him. Look at it there from verse 10. Verse 10. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. 
See, Job didn't live for himself. Job patiently waited upon his God, trusted and served him in all of his life. And in the end, Job received the riches of God's kindness. And James is saying he'll do the same for us. We don't need to live for this life. We don't need to grab what we can to keep it for ourselves because we're not going to miss out. Our Lord's coming. (laughs) We're not going to miss out. He's coming to bring us into the abundance of the riches of God and his eternal kingdom. We don't care what riches are on offer for today because they're nothing compared to what God has in store for all who love him. So hear the word of God. Do not love your money. Love your God. Don't let money dictate how you live. Trust the Lord Jesus to dictate how you live. Don't look to your money to secure your future. Trust the Lord Jesus for your future today and forever. Patiently wait for him to come. Let's be the people who live for the last day. Not today, because today is short. Life's short. But Christ and his kingdom, they never end. Never end. And he's coming. He's coming for you. (laughs) He's coming for me. We pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your son is coming. Thank you that we know this for sure. Father, thank you that we don't have to be deceived by the things of this world and the trappings of wealth. But that, Father, we know that your son comes with your eternal kingdom. And so we pray that we, we might gladly live for him, patiently waiting for him and in every way living for his honor father please keep us from the deceitfulness of wealth from the desires for other things father keep us from deceiving ourselves and thinking that life is about us father we want to love you and we want to live for you and so we pray that you give us the strength to do it and we ask it in christ's name amen